Good morning. Please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. I, uh, my plan this morning is not to spill anything or to break anything. <laughs> but you never know. <clears throat> Just so you know. 1 Corinthians 16, 19 to 24 Verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 16 is the benediction of 1 Corinthians. So we're getting back into the series that I started several months ago, uh, looking at the benedictions, the the words of blessing, the words of um, the good words at the end of the, usually at the end of the epistles and the letters of the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 16, 23 is the benediction, but I'm going to start reading in verse 19. The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Prisca greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. All the brethren greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The greeting is in my own hand, Paul. If anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. Maranatha. Maranatha is uh, an uh, Aramaic word that just means come, come Lord. And then verse 23, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus, amen. So a benediction, remember, is a good word, a blessing word. The benediction of 1 Corinthians, the word of blessing is this, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. This is one of the simplest, shortest, most concise benedictions in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul uses this short benediction. Some of the other apostles use it also. He uses it in Philippians 4.23, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. Almost exactly the same thing in Galatians. Colossians 4.18, grace be with you. 1 Thessalonians 5.28, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. The, almost the last line of the New Testament, the book of Revelation, the grace of the Lord be with you. This is, this is the boiled down benediction. If you take all the other words of blessing and put them in a pot, turn up the heat, they all cook down to this. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. This is the bottom line benediction. All the other blessings, all the other benedictions come down to this. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Every blessing that we could ever have springs from the grace of the Lord Jesus. It all comes from this. But what is grace? Grace is one of those words that has been uh, used so often and used so widely that we don't know what it means anymore. Used by so many different people for so many different things that we've lost the meaning of it. It's used by, by pagans. They speak of grace and they speak of prayer and they speak of blessing but it has no meaning, the meaning of the Scripture. What is grace? 
Well, grace is God's favor. God's favor. Genesis 6, 8. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. God had grace on Noah. He had favor in the eyes of the Lord. To have the grace of God is to have the favor of God. The approval of God. The kindness of God. We can't earn or merit the favor of God. There's nothing we can do that would make God like us. There's nothing we can do to make God give us his grace. We are sinners. Noah was a sinner. I am a sinner. You are a sinner. There's nothing that we can do that makes God all of a sudden like us. And so, grace is by definition free. It's free. The moment that you add merit or work or earning to grace, you kill grace. It's not grace anymore. It's like the moment you add corners to a circle, you don't have a circle anymore. The moment you add work to grace, it's not grace anymore. Grace is free. When you get your paycheck, it's not because your boss has been gracious to you. Now, you might have the job because your boss has been gracious to you, but if you get the paycheck, it's not because the boss is being gracious, it's because you've earned it. He's paying you what you've earned. It's not grace. This is the point of Romans 4, 4 to 5. Listen to this. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor. Literally, his wage is not credited as a grace, but as what is due. But the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. And so that's grace. Once you start tallying things up, once you start thinking of work, once you start thinking of what does he owe me, you've walked away from the realm of grace, walked into the realm of work, and you're not talking about grace anymore. Romans 11.6, the Apostle Paul says, but if salvation is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works, otherwise grace is no longer grace. Grace is, by definition, free. Ephesians 1.6, he's talking about the great salvation that God has worked in us, that the Father has chosen us, the Son has died for us, the Holy Spirit has come and renewed us. All of this, he says, Ephesians 1.6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us and the beloved. Grace is free. By definition, it's free. It is vital that we understand and believe the freeness of God's grace. But it doesn't come naturally to us. Why are we so um, weak? Why are we so puny? Why are we so pitiful? 
in our walk with God, in our obedience to him. Well, I want to read to you something from Archibald Alexander. Archibald Alexander was the first principal of Princeton Seminary. Princeton Seminary started good. Princeton Seminary started solid. This is back in the 1800s. Solid, strong, biblical, godly. Archibald Alexander um, was a crusty guy. He was not a soft, smushy, weaselly, wobbly, you know, precious moments kind of guy. All right? Archibald Alexander. I mean, what a name. You don't expect Archibald Alexander to be a weak, weaselly man. He's, he wasn't. But he had real concern for the weakness of Christians. And here's what he says. He says, I'm going to have to translate some of this for us because he's Archibald Alexander. He says, it seems desirable to ascertain as precisely as we can the reasons why Christians commonly are, so, are of so diminutive a stature. Well, what does that mean? Short. He's not really talking about, you know, short, but small, puny, weak. And of such feeble strength in their religion. Why is it the Christians are so, so little, so puny, so weak in their faith? And he says, first, there is a defect in our belief of the freeness of divine grace. The first thing, the first cause is we don't believe the freeness of divine grace as we should. He says, to exercise unshaken confidence in the doctrine of free pardon, free forgiveness, is one of the most difficult things in the world. It doesn't come easily and it doesn't come naturally for us to believe in the free grace of God. And to preach this doctrine fully without verging towards antinomianism and without verging towards this loose, cheap grace kind of thing, is no easy task and is therefore seldom done, but Christians cannot but be lean and feeble when deprived of the proper nutriment, proper food. It is by faith that the spiritual life is made to grow. <clears throat> and the doctrine of free grace without any mixture of human merit is the only true object of faith. Christians are too much inclined to depend on themselves and not to derive their life entirely from Christ. There is a spurious, there's a, a fake legal religion which may flourish without the practical belief in the absolute freeness of divine grace, but it possesses none of the characteristics of the Christian's life. Even when the true doctrine is acknowledged, even when we... Talk about free grace. In theory, often it is not practically felt and acted on. The new convert lives upon his frames, lives on his feelings, lives on his state of mind, feels, I must be right with God because I feel like it today. I must not be right with God because I don't feel like it today. The, the new convert lives upon his frames rather than on Christ. 
And the older Christian still is found struggling in his own strength, and then he sinks into gloomy despondency. Here I am persuaded, Archibald Alexander says, here I am persuaded is the root of the evil, and until religious teachers teach clearly, fully, and practically the grace of God is manifested in the gospel, we shall have no vigorous growth of piety among professing Christians. No vigor, no strength, no power, unless we understand the free grace of God. Don't ever let the danger of cheap grace rob you of the reality of free grace. Grace is by definition free. It is not God's reward for good people. It is unmerited favor. In fact, it's more than that. Grace is not just unmerited favor. It's demerited favor. It's not just that you didn't deserve anything. It's that you deserve the opposite. Not unmerited. You know, if you're just walking down the street and a a millionaire just randomly decides to give you a million dollars, that's unmerited favor. If you are not just a random person, but you've broken into his house, you've stolen his money, you've uh, killed his children, and then he decides to give you a million dollars, that's demerited favor. And that's us. It's not that you didn't do anything to deserve it, it's that you did everything to deserve the opposite. Free grace. Grace is free, but it's never cheap. We always want to twist the freeness of God's grace into cheapness. We want to make grace a kindly, grandfatherly disposition in God that makes him wink at our wickedness, right? This is what we want grace to be. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, cheap grace means the justification of sin without the justification of the sinner. You get to go ahead and sin all you want, and you get the blessings of God. That's cheap grace. Cheap grace is not God's free grace. Cheap grace is a counterfeit. It's a a grace that is cheap in value. It's not worth anything. John MacArthur says, cheap grace is a bargain basement, damaged goods, washed out, moth-eaten, second-hand grace. Cheap grace doesn't do anything for you. It has no power. Cheap grace is twisted grace. Jude uh, Jude verse 4 says this, For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn or twist the grace of our God into licentiousness. Cheap grace is twisted grace. Cheap grace is, it doesn't matter what you do. All you have to do is believe and then 
you're, everything's fair game after that. You can do whatever you want. To twist the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is free, but it's not cheap. It's the favor of God, it's never the payment of God. But grace is not just God's good favor, it is also God's power. Grace is the kindness of God, the favor of God, the smile of God, but grace is more than simply a disposition in God. This is how I'm convinced we always think of grace. We think of the grace of God as a feeling in God. God feels nice to us. God is gracious. He's he's kind. He's disposed towards us. He's kind to us. That's true. He is. But grace is not just something God feels. Grace is something God gives. That's the essence of this benediction. In 1 Corinthians 16.23, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Not just the, uh, the, the feeling of the Lord Jesus be with you, the, the kindness of the Lord Jesus be with you, but the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. It's, this is not the Christian equivalent of good luck, you know? Hope everything goes great. The grace of God be with you. This is not just a wish that God would be nice to you. This is not even just a prayer that God would pardon your sins. This is a prayer that God would give you power against your sins. This is a prayer for the power of Jesus Christ to be at work in you. Because that is what grace is. Grace is power. Grace is not just a feeling or a disposition in God. Grace is power. For example, Acts 6.8 says this, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. He's full of grace and power. He's performing great signs. He has the power of God. God's grace can be seen at work. Uh, Acts Acts 11.23 Then when Paul arrived and witnessed the grace of God. How do you witness, how do you see the grace of God? How do you see the grace of God if all the grace of God is, is the disposition in God? A feeling in God, a, a stance of God towards you. Paul came to a group of people that he'd never seen before and he saw in them the grace of God because the grace of God is power. It's something you can see. God's grace gives us power against the tyranny of sin. Romans 6.14 For sin shall not be master over you. Sin shall not be your tyrant. You shall not continue to be the slave of sin. Why? For you're not under law, but under grace. Grace frees you 
gives you power against the tyranny of sin. God's grace makes us able to work. Right here in 1 Corinthians 15, if you have your Bible open, look up just a few verses in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. The Apostle Paul says this about himself. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. God gave me his grace, and the result of that grace was I worked more than the rest of them, more than the rest of all the apostles, he's saying. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Grace is power. Grace is power. Grace gave him the ability to work more than all the rest, but it wasn't him, it was the grace of God, the power of God. God's grace teaches us to obey. This is Titus 2, 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. The grace of God comes and it teaches us, empowers us, to say no to ungodliness. God's grace helps us to obey. Hebrews 4.16. Hebrews 4, he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, his kindness, the fact that he is um, not aloof from us, not at a distance from us, but he, he understands us. He knows what it's like to be tempted, and he says in verse 16, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy. Now, when do you need mercy? When do you need mercy? When you've sinned. So he's talking about what do you do when you've sinned? Well, you draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy. And what else? Find grace to help in time of need. Grace is help. Grace is power. We need the mercy of God to forgive our sins. We need the grace of God to empower us to fight our sins. We need, we need grace. And he gives it to us. He offers it to us. He says, here it is. Come, with confidence to the throne of grace and you'll find mercy and grace to help in time of need. Grace is power. And so when a pastor says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you, hear it for what it is. This is a word of power. It's a prayer for the power of Jesus Christ to be with you. It's an invocation. It's a calling down of the power of heaven. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. The power of heaven be with you. The strength of God be with you. Hear that. Hope, hope in it. Because that's what the grace of God is. Not just pardon for your sin. Praise God, it is pardon for our sin. But it's 
It's better than that. It's also power for your sin. If all we hear when we hear this, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you, the most often repeated benediction in the New Testament, if all we hear is, good luck. You know, just a a religious sounding thing that he didn't know what else to say, so he just, the grace of the Lord be with you. Yeah, that's good. You know, sincerely, This is a word of power for you. Now, who needs this grace? Who needs the favor and power of God? Everyone needs it. Unbeliever and believer alike. Unbelievers need the grace of God. There are unbelievers in this room. Don't you understand that your only hope is that God would take pity on you? You know there's a God. Everyone in this room, everyone in this world knows there's a God. As a matter of fact, what Scripture declares to us is, you know God. Every one of us in this world knows God. Not in the sense that believers know God, but you do in fact know him. You know that he made you. You know that he owns you. You know that he commands you. You know that he judges you. You know this. There is no one in this room who doesn't know this. There's no one in this world that doesn't know this. God teaches us that in Romans chapter 1. You know God. And still you think that you can get off of his hook by pretending he isn't there or by shaking your fist in his face or by offering him your puny, sickly little sacrifices. You're willing to do anything but the one thing that he demands. And so you have no hope. Deep down you know that. Your only hope is to get the favor and the power of God. Your only hope is to get the grace of God. Your only hope is for the grace of the Lord Jesus to be with you. That is your only hope. Otherwise, you are accursed. In fact, look at verse 22. So one of those weird combinations of of words here. Because... Right before he says the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you, he says this in verse 22, if anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed. What does that mean? Damned to hell is what it means. If anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be damned to hell. So this is the opposite of a benediction. This is the opposite of a good word. This is a malediction. This is a curse. And it's it's declared on anyone who does not love the Lord Jesus. 
This is what's appropriate to say to any of you who do not believe and love him. It's a curse. Believers need the grace of God too. After all, this benediction in 1 Corinthians is given to believers. It's given to Christians. It's given to Christians who have already experienced God's grace in justification. That's what it means to be a Christian. It means to be declared righteous by God, not because you are righteous, but because Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, died the death that you deserve, was raised from the dead, and offers you salvation. And if you believe that, you're justified. You're declared righteous before God. This benediction was spoken to and is given to us who are justified, who have known the grace of God in justification. We've already known the forgiving grace of God. But we continue to need God's grace and sanctification. We continue to need the empowering grace of God. We continue to need the power of God to fight against our sin and to obey him. Believers, you need the grace of God. We need the grace of God. Continually, constantly, always. We are never to the place where we're done with that. And so, how do you get it? How do you get the grace of God? If you can't live without it, if you can't grow without it, if you can't be healthy as a Christian without it, if you can't stand without it, if you're accursed without it, how do you get it? You ask. That's all. It's free. And all you do is ask. But in order to do that, what do you have to be? You have to be humble. You have to know that there's nothing you can do to earn God's favor, and there's nothing you can do to empower yourself to fight your sin. So that means you have to be humble. And what does Scripture say? James 4, 6, God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. The only people who get the grace of God, the favor and the power of God, are those who are humble before him. This table is a declaration of the grace of God. Right? Someone had to die. You and I had to die, but here we are. <laughs> Not dead. But someone did die. Jesus died. This is a declaration of the grace of God. And this table is open only to those who are humble. Those who have acknowledged their need for Jesus. Those who have confessed their sins and repented of them. Those who have come to him for pardon. Those who have humbled themselves by putting themselves under the authorities that God has established. 
Those who've humbled themselves and seen that they're part of a body, this isn't just your private thing. And if that's you, you're welcome to this table. If you're proud, so you've not bowed your knee to Jesus, you resist the authorities that God has placed over you, you're stiff-necked and hard-hearted, you continue to have grudges and fights with your brothers and sisters in the body, if you're proud, and if you come to this table, what will you find here? What will you find? You'll find God not drawing near to you to give you power. You'll find God resisting you. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's why, 1 Corinthians 11, people were dying. God was there resisting the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. Power. Strength, pardon. And so we get to draw near to God, to draw near to his table and find all of his mercies here.